a dream that all men are created equal. Shall we begin? Hello everyone, welcome back to Your Story. It has been way, way too long since I've been here talking to you good people about what we like to do here at Your Story. I've been very busy for the last four months. That's how long it's been, everybody. Four months since I've recorded one of these episodes. I just listened back to the previous episode with Craig to remind myself of how I actually start these episodes and re-familiarize myself with it. I've been very, very busy over at Create Your Life Story. That's the other podcast where I'm showing people how to record life stories. And I've been distracted by that. And I'm doing that very consciously because I've got to make a buck. I've got to make a living. And I've got to try and get on top of my finances in order to be able to make a go of all this podcasting that I'm doing. And I'm putting a lot of effort into trying to kick some major goals over there. And it's tough. It's tough. And I'm not particularly good at the business side of things, which is one of the reasons why I decided to do this particular episode and talk to somebody who does understand business and does have that entrepreneurial mind. But it's good to get an episode out. And it's also good to get an episode out because I found somebody who I think is interesting because it's a little bit difficult to find people who are interesting. There are lots of people out there. And I meet people all the time. And every person I meet, every new person I meet, I look at them and I go, ooh, do you have those three things that I want? Are you intelligent? Are you articulate? And are you passionate? And it's the passion that I'm mainly after. We talk about that in this particular episode, passion and the importance of passion for getting across what's important to you, doing what's important. And your story is all about the things that put a fire in your belly And passion is so important for that. And unfortunately, most people don't have passion. And I'm always after that. I'm always after that little thing that drives people, that makes them so excited about what they do on a daily basis, because I think that produces great content for what we're doing here at Your Story. Because of that, I'm not finding the people who I think have the juice for you, dear listener. I've become a little bit more self-critical. If you go back to some of the earlier episodes, I think maybe I wasn't that critical. And I, you know, some of those were very good episodes also, but I am a little bit more critical of who I speak to. And that first circle of influence, first circle of people that I have around me in my local community and the people I know have thinned out now. So it's all about me meeting new people. So whenever I meet somebody new, I'm looking for that thing. And there are a couple of people who are coming out of the fog who I'm looking forward to having on the show, and hopefully over the next few weeks and months, some of them will eventuate. But unfortunately, that's just the way it is. And because I don't earn any money out of any of this, I have to remain strategic in the way I do this podcasting. And now I have promised you in the past that I will continue to produce your story. It may well become intermittent, as has been the case for these last four months, And that's very unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. If I was generating a huge income from it, I'd feel far more responsibility. But I do feel some responsibility. I do feel like I've let both you and myself down a little bit. Unfortunately, I do have to put focus and attention into what I'm doing at Create Your Life Story. If you haven't been over to Create Your Life Story, I'd love you to check it out, find out what I'm doing, and maybe share that with other people because 
I think it's a great thing to record people's lives and keep that for family for the future. And that's what I'm doing over there. And if you like what's happening there and you like the way things are progressing, well, maybe you can share it around and that will help to contribute to my ultimate success, which means that I'll have more chances to produce more episodes for here at Your Story and we can all get what we all want. So it's very strategic and I'm working very diligently towards it. I hope you understand. As well as coming over to create your life story, there are many ways that you can help what we're doing here at Your Story by sharing the information around with other people. You can place some comments at the end of the post. You can connect on the Facebook fan page. You can make a comment over at iTunes. Make sure you're getting the iTunes feed downloaded directly to iTunes. If you like what you're hearing, if you happen to come across some episodes that you think other people in your life would love to also listen, why don't you just grab it, download it, because it's all free to download, and email it off to them so that they can listen to it as well. Sharing it around helps a great deal. And much like sharing, I get all the music from IOTO PromoNet. And in this case today, one of them is from Creative Commons because they're sharing the music with me and it's good to be able to give a bit of that karma back to them as well. So if you like the music, check out the links at the end of this particular episode. I've been getting some wonderful emails from Lindsay. I think Lindsay's in New Zealand and sending me some really good information and advice. Little things that I'm working on in the background that are going to maybe help in a few different ways. So Lindsay, thank you very much for all the advice and the very, very long emails that you send me. I appreciate them a great deal. And I appreciate your support a great, great deal. Thank you very much. And like I said, it's all about trying to bash together a business model, trying to find something that is strategic and works. And unfortunately, what I'm doing here with stories, with life stories, with people's personal stories is something that isn't critical for life. It isn't one of those things that you desperately have to have. It's not like putting food on the table. It's not like having a successful income stream. So people aren't desperate for it. And I have to work with strategies to hopefully get people to help me to be able to support this. And that's why I'm looking and I'm talking to as many people as I can to find the advice that maybe they can offer me to help me to be successful. And there are some people who I meet from time to time who are quite inspiring because they have that thing. It's not intelligence. It's not breeding. It's not any of those obvious things. It is something more intangible. It is something that they have within them that just resonates with being able to do business and they can't help but be successful. I'm sure you know many people like this yourself. They come from all different walks of life, from all different backgrounds, and they just do very, very well in business. The ones who I admire the most are the ones who are ethical and honourable and do good for themselves by doing good for other people in their community. It's the same way that I choose to live, but I don't have that natural business savvy that maybe they have, and I'm working very diligently to learn that. And I don't care where it comes from. It can come from anybody I may meet, so I'm listening for those tidbits of advice that may help me. And for some time now, I've been associating with an entrepreneurial group here in Brisbane. Now, I don't think of myself as entrepreneurial, no way in the world, but I've been associating with these people because it's good for me to associate with people who are successful in business. And the man who runs this particular entrepreneurial group is giving it away. He encourages some amazing people to come and speak once a month, 
and share their knowledge and their successes with business. And I thought for someone so young, who is so driven and is achieving some reasonable outcomes at a very young age, I thought it'd be worth talking to him before he becomes that huge success that everybody reads about in the papers. So ladies and gentlemen, let's dig into what an entrepreneur is. Let's find out the headspace, the way they think, the way they operate. And one of the best ways to do it is in the ethical way that Mike Boyd does it. Here's his story. Mike Boyd, welcome to your story. Thank you very much. And the reason I've asked you to come on to the show today, Mike, is you're a young fella at, what, about 23, 24 yeah. years of age, a self-styled entrepreneur who's been making a bit of a name for himself around Brisbane, at least within the Twitter sphere, social networking field that I know of. That's where I first met you, mm. because you, along with a couple of others, run an entrepreneurial speakers night called The Hive which originally started in Melbourne, but has been up here in Brisbane now for two years, I think, isn't it? Three. Three years. Yeah. And I get along to that occasionally to listen to some of the speakers who are brilliant, brilliant, clever business people, far better than me. And because you're doing a fair bit of self-promotion at the moment, and because you're kicking some pretty serious goals, I just thought we might explore the world of the young business-minded person, because I find business fascinating because I'm shit at it. (laughs) (laughs) And some people seem to be bred with the gene that Mm. is business. And I think you're one of these fortunate or unfortunate people, depending on how you look at it. So it might be unfortunate, I think. Maybe. So let's let's start with where you're at at the moment and we'll backtrack. So where is Mike Boyd at the moment? What's his major thing that he's well, doing at the, the moment? The major thing at the moment, I mean, is something that's been a culmination of where I've been, I guess, and, and we'll talk about that more. But where I'm at at the moment is actually drawing on all of the business experiences that I've had out there in the, in the wide world sort of over the past 10 to 15 years and actually taking that forward in a, co- a coaching and consulting capacity to others. Okay. So I actually... Uh, I'm doing quite a few speaking engagements at the moment, okay. and I'm looking to increase that because I really, really enjoy it. Um, and I love speaking in front of groups of people and getting them excited and energised about what's possible in either in their business or in their life. So, you know, you m- mentioned self-promotion there before. It's essentially a, an effort for me to get my name out there as somebody that can either facilitate uh, a workshop for somebody or get into the, the corporate context and actually take them through some of the skills that I have in terms of leadership and sales and business planning. Um, entrepreneurs have a, a unique set of talents and often large corporate organisations are actually crying out for that sort of insight and right brain thinking. So I'm uh, slowly rebranding myself as to someone that can offer those services. Okay, so rebranding yourself as a bit of a mentor, coach type person? Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. Mate, you're only 24. 10, 15 years experience, come on. Well, Most people are just getting out of uni at your age. Yeah, yeah. Poor bastards. <laughs> oh, look, I mean... So, I, you know, like, how can you have much experience at 24? Look, I've always been entrepreneurial. I started my first business at age 11. Um, Doing what? Selling lost golf balls was the first one. Used to sneak in onto the golf courses and fish lost golf balls out of the creeks and I'd polish them up and sell them back to the club or sell them to 
to people that dad worked with and that sort of thing. I then ran businesses all throughout high school, all through my uni days as well. I've been there and done that formal education thing. Hated every minute of it, but it made my folks happy. What sort of businesses are we talking about? Okay, so when I was in high school, I founded a, a business called Fishy Fitness because I had a very big passion and hobby in aquariums. Got a job at the local pet shop as their aquarium guy and I would work part-time there while I was at high school and I soon realised that I had a, a customer base that would come and see me. They actually learnt when my shifts were and they would come in and see me every week to ask their water chemistry questions and what plants go with this fish and what chemicals do I need. And I saw the value that I had created it wasn't actually in the business, it was in me. I, I had my own little following and after a while I came up with the idea of starting my own aquarium servicing business where I would actually go to people's homes and workplaces and service their aquariums where they are. Okay. So I'd do all of their water testing, I'd sell them plants and fish and chemicals. How old were you? Uh, 15. Okay. So I actually ran that business for uh, a year and a half or so. Okay. 15, 16, okay. while I was at school, I'd have mum drive me around with my little box of fishnets and water testing gear, and uh, I did some doctor's surgeries. Um, It'd be exciting time for a 15-year-old, oh, I it was, it was pretty good, you know. The business failed terribly in the end because I had no idea what I was doing. And Failing at 15 is not too bad. Not at all. You know, it was that street-smart experience that yeah. I really needed. And so I, I just sort of got the bug and kept going and tried a couple other things, and then the next biggest business was when I was at uni. I was trying to have my throw a great 18th birthday party as I'd just finished high school going into uni and I was looking around to have a, a keg party like you see in the American college movies. A keg of beer. A keg of beer, absolutely. Yeah. And I had a lot of trouble, long story short, I had a lot of trouble finding someone that could actually supply me a keg of beer in Brisbane because it's not big in Australia. But that's exactly why I wanted it because it was a novelty and nobody in Brisbane could supply me one. None of the local pubs could do it. They didn't do the dispensing equipment that you needed for them these days. And there was one guy on the Gold Coast that said he could do it for me, but um, he wanted $100 delivery and $100 pickup the next day. And, you know, for a 17, 18-year-old kid, $200 can buy you a lot more beer. So um, we ended up just going bottles of beer instead. And I forgot about it. But a couple of weeks later, I thought, it seems very, very strange that for a big city like Brisbane, you can't hire a keg of beer, but you can on the Gold Coast. So I, I did a bit of research and sure enough, there wasn't anybody offering it anymore, but there was demand for it. And I put up a, a basic website, borrowed a little bit of money from mum and dad and imported some dispensing equipment from the US. We ended up setting up a, a keg hire business in Brisbane, which then expanded into slushy machines and, and daiquiri machines mm -hmm. for cocktails at parties. And we serviced the 18th, 21st birthday engagement party market for three and a half years. We ended up uh, dissolving the business and selling it off in parts. Actually ended up selling off our equipment for a profit to other competitors because we brought in equipment that no one else had in Australia. So and because you started, other people saw the market and came in as well? Yeah, that's right. So two other competitors started after we did, which was great. It actually just helped build the market. Yeah. Um, you know, and I ran a beer business while I was at uni, which was fantastic. So Yeah, that's a bit tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we had some fantastic parties as well. When it Everybody was... knew Mike. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It also taught me a lot about how to market a business because we had no budget whatsoever. So I learned how to build my own website for the first time and how to use social media before anybody had ever heard of social media because I was targeting a very young demographic. Mm. And back then, mm. it was only a young demographic that was using things like Facebook and Twitter. You know, we really utilised that from the very beginning. And 
it's funny, you know, a lot of opportunities have always fallen in my lap and I've found ways to monetize them because out of my experience in promoting my own business solely through digital space, I then got the opportunity to go and consult to very large national-based brands here in Australia for their social media and digital strategy. Oh, so you became known as a bit of a social media guru. I did for, for a time, and I, I spent about two years then. I was still at uni, because I spent five years at uni doing two degrees. So I'm running this party hire business, I'm doing bits and pieces of consulting, but you know, I, I was an unqualified uni student who simply uh, had experience. Have you ever had a job? A real job? Yes, yes, I have, but not for very long. Okay. I make a terrible employee. Okay, so you're basically one of these unemployable people. Yes, right. very much so. How much of a leg up did your parents give you? How much help, even if it's just an attitude? Mm. Was there any attitude of... I, I don't come from an entrepreneurial family. My mum's a kindergarten teacher, and uh, dad's been in the public service for 35 years, so I actually fought against an attitude that my parents are very safe and secure. Okay. And, uh, and I admire that about them, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it was always do well at school, go to uni, do well at uni, get a good job. You're right you for know, 40 years. Then you're right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that never fit with what I wanted to do. And so we battled on that for, for many, many years, especially when I was younger. But I think... We're talking about uni age? Yeah, through, through high school and uni, and okay. because I really didn't want to go to uni. I really didn't want to be there. I mean, I did okay academically at school, and so I thought, well, this might help me. But I got in there and realised straight away that this was big and bureaucratic and slow and no one was doing anything particularly exciting. Um, I changed my program that I was studying five times in five years and eventually just stuck with something so that I could get the piece of paper and get out. Mm, so what, was, what have you got? What's your qualification? I got a, a Bachelor of Business Management and a Bachelor of Applied Science. Okay. And the Applied Science is in um, Natural Resources. Okay. Mm. So big and broad type. Yeah, but you know, it's applicable across a, a yeah. broad range of things that you might get to play. That's in. right. That's yeah, right. So it's all and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm still very grateful that I've got it. I'm, I'm glad I do because now it opens the doors for um, greater business mm. consulting opportunities, which I, I want to do. Mm. It opens plenty of doors for me, but it was a, a real struggle to be there. Sure. Um, sure. But now, in terms of support from family, uh, it's incredible because I think they now know that I've gone through and done what they wanted me to do. I've got my plan B in place should everything else fall apart. So I can always go and get a job because I've got my two degrees. But now they're more supportive in terms of letting me have a go at the different ventures and enterprises I want to have a play with, knowing that I have something to fall back on. What is the headspace that you live in? I avoid the word entrepreneur. Yep. So, but you use it all the time. What is that? What does that mean to you? If I had the opportunity to not use the word entrepreneur, I would. I hate it. Why? Well, look, I, th I put entrepreneur, salesperson, and networking all in the same box. They're words that just have negative connotations attached to them. A lot of people see the word or see the person entrepreneur as a stereotype, fat, Caucasian, American man in a you know, red convertible okay. that's car. What, that's what other people call entrepreneurs. What do you call an entrepreneur? An entrepreneur, to me, is someone who spots an opportunity where others see problems. It's a different way of thinking. Okay. They're problem solvers. Um, entrepreneurs, to me, are change makers or agents of change. If you need something changed, an entrepreneur is the person to talk to because they know how to incentivize groups of people or entire markets to make the change. That's why I say that going into a consulting role or a coaching role with, with large corporate organizations is something that they're actually 
calling out for because they don't know how to change when all this technology and, and the financial markets are falling apart. There's so much going on, but they don't know how to adapt very quickly. Yeah, so you see it as a creative Yes, form. definitely. Entrepreneurship is a way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's not really an, a, an occupation. So I use my skill set to help others. So I sit on the board for a number of charities and not-for-profits and combine my skills with other people who are much more systems orientated and operational orientated where I'm very much a big thinker, problem solver, an innovator, but I'm terrible at the detail. So I can come up with the ideas in a creative fashion. I can put it all together and formulate it and say, this is how we should do it. But as soon as it comes to running it day in, day out, I'm done, can't do it, Okay. just fall apart. Can you get into the minutiae of an idea? and break it down and put all those components together or would you rather handball that to somebody else because you've moved on to the next project? If if it's a problem that needs solving, I'll solve it, but I won't implement it or I'll rarely implement it. Um, So I see it as a challenge. If that's something that's difficult to solve, I'll put my creative energy into finding a solution, but as soon as that solution is found, somebody else can maintain it. Okay. How much of a risk taker is an entrepreneur? I don't think they're very big risk takers at all. I actually think that... um, being an entrepreneur is less risky than uh, having a job in, in a corporate environment. <laughs> um, you know, may, maybe that's my biased opinion looking from the outside, but I have had brief stints in, in the corporate world and having somebody else completely in control of your life. Oh, look, there's a saying that says that you can't sell your job. You can work hard, you can get a great job and you can work in an industry for 30 or 40 years, but at the end of the day, you're hoping that you've got enough superannuation to see you throughout your retirement. When you quit, you don't have anything to sell. You've spent 40 years building your knowledge base, your skill set, everything that you have learnt and evolved over that time, but there's absolutely no value in what you've created. And you leave it all in the cubicle when you walk out. Well, that's right. You've you've built it for somebody else, not Mm -hmm. for yourself. So, you know, I do the same thing. I, I have value and I have skills and I create things, but they're entities, they're assets that I can sell. So if I stop operating in them, and if my employees stop operating in them, I've still got a tangible asset which I can sell. I've been looking at this term entrepreneur for a while and it's been irritating me. Mm. And I've been wondering if it's the incorrect word for a lot of people. They're opportunists. Mm. Mm. They are opportunistic. Yes. Rather than being truly creative, they see a gap in the market yes. that is nice and safe and they jump in and play. Yep. Because, but they're not actually creating anything. Mm. Um, so I dug into my dictionary in Wikipedia yep. to look up what an entrepreneur is. Yep. A person who organises and operates a business or businesses taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. Yeah, see, I think that's rubbish. <laughs> that's, that's what they're saying an entrepreneur is. Yep. A true entrepreneur. Yep. And that's not what you feel that the people who call themselves entrepreneurs are. It's got nothing to do with money. I think it's risks emotional too. It's all sorts of risks. Oh, look, it, it, risk is a funny word. I mean, some people might say it's risky to go against the grain and do something that Hell not yeah. the majority of society does. Well, I don't think that's risky. I think that's just me being me, you know? Um, it's not risky for me to try and start a business with a small amount of money because I'm already prepared to lose it all. You know, that's not risky. It's not going to sink me. It's not going to be the, the end of the world because I've already calculated the risk. True entrepreneurs, people are actually very good at what they do in business or otherwise, take probably more calculated risks than people do who have jobs. 
because it's very, very risky to have a job because you're completely out of control. At least if you're starting a business or an enterprise, you're in control of the circumstances. But that's actually what that de definition said. An entrepreneur will assess the risks and then be responsible for them, dive in the deep end. Yes. Whereas most people aren't prepared to even identify that there are risks in their corporate job. Yes, exactly they, right. They just think they're safe and sound. Yeah. 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 I was offered a job many, many years ago when I was about 25, and they pulled up beside me and they said, Ian, we've been watching you and we reckon there's a big future for you here. Yeah. And after all, security is the most important thing in life, isn't it? <laughs> I remember those words, and immediately I knew I was out of there. Yep. Because they were offering me a 30, 40 year job. Yep. That company doesn't exist anymore, by the way. Exactly right. So how risky was it? Extremely. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, because I would have had no control in that environment. I mean, a lot of people never understood this until you have, you know, the once in a generation recession or shake up, like this global financial crisis, and they're talking about a double dip recession at the moment. So many people that have been in a stable job all their life are now scratching around going, what on earth happened to my superannuation fund? Mm. I was going to retire next year, and now I have to work another 10 years. Mm. That's bloody risky if you ask me. So what's the headspace of an entrepreneur? I think we actually had a quick Twitter conversation about it, about seeing too many opportunities. Yes, yes, what absolutely. Is, what does that mean for you? Um, oh, well, look, it's, it's a constant creative struggle. We already, already identified that being an entrepreneur is very much being a creative. We spot opportunities where others see problems. So if we're here in this conversation today and I hear you complain about something or, or whinge or find something that's a little bit less desirable or something's in your way or a pain, my brain instantly reframes that as an opportunity. How could I solve that problem for Ian to satisfy his needs? And is there a financial or otherwise reward in me doing that? That's how entrepreneurs create markets. That's how they spot gaps. And they fill gaps because they fill needs. So. I have more ideas every single day than I could possibly ever take action on. How do you filter through those? Like, do you have some that are so good that you really should action them, but you just haven't got enough lives to do yeah, it? Yeah, about 20 a day. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly, honestly. Right. If I could dedicate a certain number of hours to something each week and just, you know, push it for, for three months, I could get a number of businesses off the ground, but I can only divide myself so many ways. How do you decide what you're going to take on? How do you decide to take on the Cupstart idea, which is your current yeah. sort of thing that you're driving, versus all these other 19 ideas that you have yeah. each day? Well, I mean, that's, that's always been one of my biggest battles, and I'm actually producing some resources and writing a book at the moment about an ideas filter for creative people. It's particularly aimed at entrepreneurs, but it, it's, it's broad enough that anybody can use it to process their ideas. And the reason was that early 2010, I decided that I would give myself January and February. I'd take those two months off from any sort of entrepreneurial endeavours. I'd sort of just wound up some other opportunities and sold a business. And I said that I wasn't going to just jump in and say yes automatically to an opportunity that came along. I was going to spend a lot of time really digging deep and finding out what I'm passionate about and what I really want to do. So January and February flew by and I had no idea whatsoever. I had a million ideas and still wasn't any closer to which one I should choose and dedicate myself to. Because you were looking at putting it through the passion filter? Yes, yes. And, you know, I have multiple passions and I get excited about a number of things. And so what I ended up doing was my two-month hiatus turned into 12 months and I forced myself to say no to every opportunity that came my way, even if it was brilliant. And I used that time, which was a very difficult time because I'm, I'm used to being very busy and jumping in, 
to develop my own filter for ideas. And it started out as a bit of a mind map, and then it also included a criteria list. So I basically developed in my mind what I was looking for. So if I had a new business, it needed to meet at least eight out of 10 criteria for me to consider it further. And it all, I also had to sit on the idea for a month, even if it made it through the ideas filter, to get past the excitement phase. So if I was still excited after a month and it made it through the criteria list, then I would allow myself the opportunity to pursue it. And the only idea to make it through both processes in that 12-month period was Cup Start, and that's why I started it at the end of 2010. How do you measure the passion? Very good question. For me, one of my criteria was, can I see myself doing this for the next five to 10 years? So instead of it being a short-lived project, I wanted something that I could really dig my teeth into and work on. And so it, was, it had to be a big enough opportunity or a big enough industry where there was enough interesting things going along that even if my first idea that I executed in that industry wasn't right, there was still enough to keep me going for a number of years. I didn't want to exhaust my creative energy very, very quickly in a tiny, tiny little niche. Passion, I don't know if you can measure it, but if you get out of bed excited each day, then you're on the right track. So that's why for me, I put that one month measure in place, that if I'm still excited after a month, then I can have a crack at it. Do you sometimes approach these challenges non-intellectually? What do you mean? Ever been in love? Yes. Is that intellectual? No. Do you ever approach these ideas with other systems other than intellect? Oh, always. So Always. And that's why I say that entrepreneurship isn't about money. Um, because I'm a big believer that people do their best work and their best contribution to the planet when they're in their flow state. Uh, so when they're actually doing the thing that gets them most energised. And most people, even if they're not familiar with the concept of a flow state, will recognise that time when they can't believe how much time has just flown by when they were doing that particular activity or they were just having so much fun or they got so much energy out of talking to somebody about that particular topic or writing or you know you see it a lot in musicians musicians are brilliant musicians are in their flow state but everybody has a flow state and I've recently discovered that for me I get really really excited and really energized when I speak in front of a group of people and see other people's faces light up when I give them an idea that they hadn't already thought of or a new concept or a new way of looking at things. Because it took me a long time to realise that I actually see the world differently to most people, just in the, in the way that my brain works. And while that's normal for me, it's not for, for others. And I get a great sense of enjoyment by sharing my views with other people and then hearing their views and collaborating with them in a bit of a public brainstorming session. So that's why I'm actually looking now to pursue more in my speaking career mm. and coaching because I've done a lot of personal development around myself to work out what's my flow state. What, what do I get the most satisfaction out of, but also how can I contribute the most to others? It's always about giving. I said that entrepreneurs satisfy a need. They spot an opportunity and they satisfy that need. That's about giving. How can I give more value than currently exists? And if I make money as a result, that's great. But it's not about money. You mentioned about Cupstart, yeah. sitting on the idea. Eventually it bubbled to the top. It went through the filters. 
and the excitement phase. Yep. That flow state, does that relate to cup start in any way? Well, a lot of the research that I've done around flow state has been since I launched Cupstart, and Cupstart has actually helped me to understand more about that. And the thing that's helped me understand most is my shortcomings in that business. So, for instance, I now understand that my greatest skill set in business is the creation and formula, formulation of the ideas and strategy. And once it's created, I need to get out. I can't, I, I'm not an operator, I'm not an operations type brain, I'm not a systems person that can just execute the same thing day in, day out, because as soon as I've succeeded in filling that need, I'm bored and I need, sure. as I said, I have so many ideas each day, so I'm itching to go and solve the next problem. So what it's really done is opened my eyes to the sorts of people that I need to find to partner with to fill the gaps which I have in myself. But the other strength that I have in the business, other than creating, is in sales and being the representative out the front, being the face of it. That ties into having a passion for public speaking. Which is the flow state you were talking about. Exactly right. We've got that clear, but I just want to bring you back to that original idea. And the reason I'm asking this, Mike, is because people are challenged with the, is this the right thing to do? I've done the spreadsheet and yes, all the numbers add up and mm. yes, it looks like I should, but is it still the right thing to do? Yep. And you've talked about this flow state yes. as a major indicator of passion. Yes. So when you flagged Cupstart, did you have an epiphany of some shape or form that is representative of the flow state? I understand that you get that flow state when you're public speaking, mm -hmm. but did you get it about Cupstart? To be honest, I probably don't. Cupstart, for me, was me assessing quite from a logical point of view my passions. And I'm very much passionate about coffee and I'm very passionate about technology and in efficiently improving markets. You know, I love that. So I was looking for a business opportunity in that 12 month period that met all my criteria list but was also something I was interested in. I'm not ever gonna go and start an accounting practice, even if it fits my criteria list, because it's just too boring. It wouldn't tick enough boxes for me because I don't get excited about it. But the coffee industry is something that I'm fascinated by. It has a huge amount of depth if you wanna dig into it. In Australia, certainly at the moment, we have a huge espresso coffee culture. More and more people are learning and becoming educated about single origins, fair trade coffee, different types and brewing methods. We've got pour overs and filter coffee and all sorts of things emerging for people who are turning their coffee into a hobby. Let me just throw a plug in. Do you know Black Star Coffee? Listening? I do, they're fantastic. I've had Marty on the show doing exactly what we're doing oh, today. Excellent. excellent. Yes, way back, well, a year or two back. I'll have to listen back yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's just a plug for a previous episode. If anybody's out there interested in picking up on a past episode. Yeah, I yeah. mean, coffee is, I love coffee because so many other people get passionate about coffee. I mean, coffee isn't just coffee these days, it's, it's coffee culture, it's cafe culture, mm. it brings people together. Mm. It's even considered micro generosity because we come together and I spend $3 buying you a coffee. And while it's only $3 and you don't think much of it, it's an opportunity for me to give to you in a way that you will accept and I will feel good about that micro patronage paying it forward. Combining that passion for coffee with technology is what led me down Cupstart. Right. It, it wasn't flow state, and this is a point that is really important for me to make. Creating Cupstart and getting it off the ground was one of the hardest things I've ever done. 
because it was so far out of my flow state, I struggled. And what I mean by that is starting a business is hard because you have to wear every hat. I couldn't just choose to be the person out the front selling it or the person coming up with the idea. I actually had to execute. I had to write documents. I had to do spreadsheets. I had to write legal agreements. I had to project manage a team of software developers because I can't do all that coding myself. And almost all of those elements I hated, unless I was in a creating role or a selling role. But I knew that I had to go through that process to actually get it somewhere for me to then get into my role and do what I'm good at. Creating businesses aren't always easy. In fact, they, they never are. But you sort of have to stay focused on the vision in terms of what you want to create in the end. What you just described then is one of the ways that people come unstuck, isn't it? Is they go, I just want to have the glory bits. Definitely. And I don't want to worry about the rest so it falls over. Or they farm it out. And maybe if they don't do that correctly, it costs them a lot of money or it doesn't work. Yes. In which case it collapses anyway. Yes. Particularly with passion projects. You know, I have so many entrepreneurs come to me and they say, oh, but I'm really, really passionate about, um, you know, cricket. I really want to create a business around cricket. And I'm like, well, great. Okay, so what are you going to do? And they have, a, they have a fantastic idea, but they then aren't motivated to build a business around it because they're not excited about business. They're excited about cricket. And... It's a myth to say that anybody can create a business around their passion and not have to do something that they don't like or is hard work. Finding something you're passionate about gives you the opportunity to spend years operating in that industry because you love the industry or the idea, but you still have to work bloody hard and you still have to do things that other people aren't prepared to do. And that's the whole idea of being an entrepreneur. You're actually finding something that other people aren't doing and doing that. And it seems to me that if you've got the passion that helps to push you through all yes. the adversity and yes. the challenges and the discipline exactly. in order to get the benefits out the other end. Exactly right. It doesn't mean that it's a free ride because you'll love every moment of it. It means that it's your motivation to keep going. Yeah. Yes. It's, how many times have we heard of uh, people who love books or bookstores or love coffee or love uh, yep. restaurants who end up opening a bookstore or a restaurant and yes. then hating it? And then hating it. Exactly right. It ruins their passion. That's right. And you have to be very, very careful That's right. about that and also be open-minded about the fact that it's very likely that if you chase your passion in a way that's not sustainable um, or if you try and force creating a business around it, you might not enjoy it anymore. Okay, I'm going to give you a chance here, Mike, to show us your wares and come up with a scenario, you know, a theoretical scenario. Somebody turns up and asks you to help coach mm. and they have a passion. Let's take the cricket passion or the coffee passion or whatever you like and they want to do something with it. What are you going to say to them? How are you going to help them to start down the path? What are the pitfalls? What are the strategies? And The first thing I do is I don't talk about the business. I don't talk about the industry. I talk about them. Because the, from a coaching perspective, I need to understand the personality. I need to understand the person. Because they can come to me and say, my passion is cricket, when really their passion is bowling. Cricket bowling or... Uh, they're passionate about sitting in the audience, but they don't actually play cricket. You have to dig into the person to understand what actually gets them excited, but also what skills do they already have? Because skill and passion are completely different. If they already work in a job, in a creative environment, then they should probably use or utilize that skill and build upon that if they're gonna try and start a business. And also identify the areas that they're not so great at and get that help or partnership in the business. Because 
you know, as, as we said, you don't want someone to ruin their passion by trying to start a business around it when they know nothing about business. And a lot of people fail as a result. So I understand the person and find out whether or not they're an introvert and extrovert, uh, whether or not they have the ability or passion to sell. So because a lot of people, they start a business and then they're too afraid to ask somebody to pay something for it, um, which seems obvious, but um, it's the number one reason that businesses fail because people don't actually get out there and ask for the sale, particularly in service-based roles. And if they're no good at sales, what are they going to do about that? Maybe they, then they don't sell on the front line. Maybe they sell online. Maybe they don't have to do it in person. Maybe they're happy to sell over the phone or on email. Um, or partner with somebody. Or partner with somebody who can sell. So these are the things that we assess straight away. We assess the person, what gets them excited, what gets them out of bed, and also what their vision is. I like to work backwards. So... You know, that a lot of the coaching I do is with senior leaders as well, and we talk about leadership quite a bit. And you can't lead a company. You can only lead the people within it. And leading and managing is so very different. So we do that with the person as well. We get them to lead themselves. What is the vision that you ultimately want to achieve by going down this route with this business? Is it the fact that you want to make so much money that you want to sit on a beach and just sunbake all day and drink 50-cent beers in Mexico? Or... Do you want to work 100 hours a week because this is what you live for and you're so passionate about cricket? People go into business for lots of different reasons and you have to establish that up front. And once we paint the perfect vision for them much further down the track, then we work backwards to work out shortcuts for them to get to that vision. Do you sometimes sack people? All the time, yeah. And the people that I normally sack are the people that don't have soul or heart in what they're going to do. And, meaning you know, that they're not passionate or you mean that they're unethical? Um, it's not always unethical. It just doesn't fit with me because I believe that we as society and also as businesses should seek to give without the expectation to receive. I do a lot of work with an entrepreneurship training and education company here in Brisbane called Edgeware and their motto is make money, have fun, change the world. And if I'm working with a client and they don't have that change the world essence in their being, if they don't want to contribute to the community as a result of their business or help others or generate more jobs, nurture charities or give people opportunities or whatever it is. Hang on, I can, see, I can hear people out there going, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to, I just want to take my little crocheting hobby here yeah. and turn that into something. No, I don't want, to, I don't want to change the world, Mike. No, I well, just want. I've just got this little thing that I want to have bubbling away. That, and while I'm raising my family, I want to have yeah, this. You yeah. know, does it have to be this big? Oh no, no, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be change the planet. When I say change the world, change your world. Right. So if you have your little crocheting business and you want to make that sustainable, so maybe it's a hobby at the moment, and you love crocheting. You do it all the time when you're not at work, but you would love to be able to do it full time and not have to work. You're not so much concerned about earning millions and millions of dollars. You just want to be able to sustainably support your lifestyle and do what you love. I want to help people do what they love. And that's finding their flow, finding out what sort of person they are, what they enjoy to do, and maximizing that. Or putting them together with other people who have the opposite and seeing what they can create. So when I say change the world, if someone doesn't have to go to work 40 or 50 hours a week now and they can be at home crocheting, what are they going to do with that crochet? Maybe they sell nine out of ten and give you know, one free beanie to charity or the homeless to keep people warm. 
or maybe they donate 10% of profits. Maybe they run free education classes to teach other people how to crochet one day a week or one day a month. It's just having that, that value in the person themselves that they actually want to make a contribution. And you look for that fairly early on in the process? Definitely. Definitely. Because I think most of us have it in us. And we just have to be reminded. it's all about me, 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 thank you, there's the door. Yes. Yes. Which can be very, very difficult sometimes. And I've turned away some, some very well-paying corporate clients who are all about money. And I find it very, very difficult to work with them. Because what they're asking me to do is help them change their personality and ignore different values and traits they have because they have to meet KPIs for the company. They need to, it's all about shareholder value, profit maximization, and you know, all of that, blah, blah, blah. I don't really believe in that world, and I think we get the most value out of people in companies than we do profits. I think profits are a byproduct of people creating value, and you only create value by giving. So if people want to talk to me about, hey, I've got a million dollar business, and I want to make it a $20 million business, they will still, get there faster by having a giving element what they do because it's only by either sharing their expertise collaborating with other people or bringing in people who can learn from them that they will have opportunities appear in their business that can accelerate what they're up to it's about having a social conscience yeah yeah, yeah. and it's fairly obvious <coughs> that this is where you're at now this is this is where you're kicking your goals in your own personal life career all that sort of stuff yeah are you going to play in the world of the cup start style businesses or do you want to concentrate, do you want to move away from that business development idea and move more into the, uh, the coaching? Do, is that where you want to focus or do you want to have one foot in each camp? I will always have multiple projects on the go because I get bored too easily. Um, in terms of my personal brand, I'm definitely moving towards my coaching and training and speaking opportunities because I personally get a lot of value out of that. I will always maintain a portfolio of businesses that I have either investment in or control over. But what I've learned about myself is that I need excellent teams of people around me to help run those businesses because I can't do it all. So I've identified my strengths and my weaknesses and I'm now either setting up joint ventures with other companies or employing people or contracting people to take care of elements of my businesses that I can't look after. Could you see a sign when you might be just doing the speaking coaching thing? Yes, uh, definitely. But Is there an advantage in having those businesses anyway, oh, other, I, other than the uh, multiple oh, look, things the, you the, do? There's a, uh, there's a financial reward, absolutely. In terms of coaching and speaking, I could definitely do it all the time, but I would create a business around it because I can't help but do that because I'm an entrepreneur or I identify I have that type of brain. So. If I was doing that all the time, I would then have other trainers that deliver my content. And I would get more expensive. And if people didn't want to pay my rates, they could have one of my trainers or coaches below me, um, which is standard sort of educational business model. And I'll also leverage myself in a business capacity so that I can reach greater audiences. So I'm going to do some online work as well. I recognize that I only have so many hours in the day. And if I want to do that, full-time, I need to be able to leverage my hours to reach more people. So how can people get hold of you if they want to come and play with you yeah. in your world? The best way is through my website because it's got plenty of information in terms of where I've been and where I'm going. 
and that's mikeboyd.com.au. B-O-Y-D. B-O-Y-D, so M-I-K-E-B-O-Y-D.com.au. And there's various means to get in touch sure. with me there, but it also gives people a good idea in terms of, of what I'm up to. Ian, one more thing that I'll add is that, you know, we talked about the Hive events that mm. I brought to Brisbane three years ago. Now, when we talk about value and giving and that creating more opportunities, the Hive is a not-for-profit and we as volunteers run that organisation. We've never made money. In fact, it's only ever cost me personally money to run those events. So we've run almost 30 events over three years on a monthly basis with some very prominent entrepreneurs who come along and share their story for free as well. They give their time. Some of the and top 100 wealthiest people in Queensland. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, got, we've had speakers that are worth more than $100 million mm-hmm. come and give their time, share a beer or a glass of wine with us in a very casual environment at a free event. And, that um, anybody can turn up to. That's right. That's and right. and it's a good night out. The value out of the Hive is exponential. For me personally, I founded the Hive in Brisbane in early 2009 and we've run it every month consistently without missing an event. And if I'd been charging 50 or $100 a head and still got the same numbers of people turning up, the amount of money I would have made still would not have exceeded the value that I've got out of running and building that community for the last three years. The people that I've met, the inspiration, the speakers that we've had along, the business opportunities, I will have made far more from a, from a monetary financial sense out of the hive by giving it away for free and connecting with more people than I would have by charging for the events. Mm, yeah. and, and that's sort of a really great example in terms of what I'm talking about. While I'm running businesses for profit and I've always got a lot going on and if, if you want to work with me in a coaching capacity, I am expensive, I also donate my time, I volunteer my time to contribute back to the entrepreneurial community because I absolutely love it and I want to nourish that and help spread ideas and connect with like-minded people. And it's a great, op- a great example of how opportunities then come to me because I'm the face of such an organisation and a lot of people then get to know me. I think the message from today definitely is uh, give wherever you can. It's the law of reciprocity, isn't Isn't it? Isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, thanks very much for telling us a bit about the head you live in. Thank you very much for having me. appreciate it a great deal. Yeah, it was great fun. Bye-bye, mate. Thanks. You can find more great podcasts at lifestylepodnetwork.com.au.